Well, hello again. Uh, I want to um, deal with a difficult aspect this morning that I think that's uh, difficult to, to sometimes grasp and continue to live out as a Christ follower. And that is that um, this aspect that I believe that spiritual growth or maturing spiritually has to do with pursuing God and His kingdom agenda ahead of my own agenda. Sometimes we uh, mistakenly think of spiritual maturity as just knowing a lot about the Bible, but you can be a knowledgeable, spiritually immature Christian. That's not what it's all about. It's about becoming more and more the kind of person who's pursuing God's agenda, His kingdom agenda, instead of my own personal agenda. But what makes it difficult is that it's an ongoing thing, right? It's not just a one-time decision. It's a thing that you have to keep deciding over and over and over again. And the way that we measure our success in this area, or the way that we measure our growth in this area, is by our choices, See, as I put God and the things that advance his kingdom ahead of the things that please me, those are going to show up in my choices. But I think here's the part that can make this so confusing, is that when we walk in obedience and righteousness, a whole lot of the time we'll experience blessings as we do that. Now, not always. God's not some magic genie that we just rub his belly and blessings pop out. You know that, right? And we also live in a world that is fallen and broken by sin. And so we don't always reap the blessings that do our actions. But very often, you do it God's way and you experience blessings. You disregard God's ways, and you live in disobedience to God's ways, and you experience the natural consequences of that. And this isn't because God sits in heaven all day watching us and then dropping lightning bolts or rose petals, depending upon whether we obey or disobey. It's not something silly like that. It's just simply that's how He designed the universe. I mean, it's kind of like operating my car according to the instructions of the manufacturer. You know, I I treat my car the way that the people who built it told me to, service it those ways and that kind of stuff. You generally will get better service than the person who ignores all of that, right? I had a friend who uh, was a salesman, bought a brand new car, drove it for 120,000 miles, never changed the oil. Took it into the mechanic, and the mechanic said, whatever you do, don't change the oil now, because that goop in there is what's holding a lot of stuff together. So we get it. Do it God's way, blessing much of the time. Don't, we don't receive those blessings. So, because this is true, I think if we're not careful, we can just be walking along and seeking to do things to please God and experiencing His blessings as we do so, and then without even realizing it, there's this shift that sort of happens in our mind and we find ourselves pursuing the blessings more than we are pursuing the blesser. 
And our choices, our decisions, our pursuits, while they're not wild and sinful, they're suddenly motivated by what pleases me rather than what's most advantageous to God and his kingdom. And we become very me-focused, self-oriented Christians. We go to church every Sunday or most every weekend, and, but it's less about worshiping God and more about what I get out of it. See the difference? We feel the Holy Spirit convicting us in some way, but we resist. And the reason that we resist is because we start to think of all the ways that doing that will make my life harder or less pleasurable or more uncomfortable, see? Somebody brings up the subject of multiplying our small group. And all we can think about is how multiplying will impact me negatively. Or we're asked to give something. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's my time. Maybe it's my energy. And then rather than thinking about how doing this will bring God more glory, all I can seem to see is how this will force me to give up something, to do without something that I kind of like having going on. And you know, we talk a lot about the kingdom of God. I mean, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, Jesus used those phrases interchangeably. In chapter 4, verse 23 of Matthew, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't, don't seek after these things. Seek first the kingdom, right? Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of, what do you think? The kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And even after Jesus' death and his resurrection in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And what do you think he wanted to talk about? He spoke about the kingdom of God. So we talk a lot about the kingdom of God, but you know, what the heck are we talking about when we talk about that? Well, let's just spend a little bit of time here unpacking that. You know, a kingdom is a reign, not precipitation. <laughs> it's a R-E-I-G-N. It's a reign of someone over others. A king has reign over subjects who, unlike a democracy, can't form a not-my-king protest, right? 
I mean, if they do, then they all experience a not my chance to live outside of prison reality or not my chance to keep on living or that, you know, those kind of things. Because you see, a king has power, absolute power. A king calls the shots. A king rules over subjects of his kingdom. And so as Christ followers, we are first and foremost subjects of King Jesus. We bow to him. When we worship, we're not just singing songs. We're declaring our loyalty to the king. When we pray, we're not just speaking into the air. We're speaking and lining ourselves under the king. That's why if your prayers are just give me this and do this and I want this, you're missing the real point of prayer because so much of prayer is aligning ourselves under the king, telling him how wonderful and great and praising him, bringing ourselves and surrendering ourselves and lining up under his authority over us. When we read our Bibles or when we, when we hear a sermon, what we're really doing is we're listening to get instructions from our King. Because you see, Jesus, King Jesus, is over us. And we are under His authority in our lives. If He says it, we obey it. I remember hearing this story from Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley's father died when he was young, and so his grandfather was a very influential figure in raising him. And Charles's grandfather said to him, Charlie, if God tells you to ram your head through a brick wall, then you start running and you trust that God will make a hole by the time you get there. <laughs> See, we obey, he's king. But you see, our king is a gracious king. He loves us. And he truly desires our good. And so as we obey, we get to live out the blessings of obedience. But, but here it is again. It, as we're doing that, if we're not careful, we can just so easily get our cart in front of the horse, and we sort of start thinking God exists to do our bidding instead of the other way around. And, and, and we get mad at God because He doesn't do things the way that I've determined He ought to do them. I mean, think how ridiculous that is. And I'm not putting you down, I do it too. But isn't that ridiculous? I mean, who's the king? And who's the subject here, right? Or, like I was having a discussion with a, a friend of mine who's a relatively young Christian, we were discussing something in the Bible where God shows his judgment, and he said to me, well, God wouldn't do that. I said, well, what do you mean? God did it. It's right there. And he said, well, no, God wouldn't do that because he loves us. And I said, you're right. God does love us, but... But that's not the whole story. He's also holy and righteous. 
And God exists outside of time and space in ways that I don't understand everything that he understands. I can't fit all of that into my human-sized brain. And not only that, God exists for his own glory, not my pleasure, not my happiness. And so, listen, just a little aside here. Let me tell you, if you've got God in this nice, neat little box, let me just tell you, you need to prepare to have a crisis of faith somewhere along the line. Because God refuses to be made in our image. He's king. And so, if you're tracking with me, which I hope you are because I'm still in my introduction. (laughs) All this really comes down to these three things. And if you haven't pulled out your message notes already, you can do so. I've given you some places to fill in some blanks if you would desire so. But here's what I'm saying. Just these three things. Number one, that Jesus is king. Secondly, that we, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we are his subjects, and we exist to do his bidding. It's not the other way around. We exist to do his bidding, not he exists to do ours. And then thirdly then, that increasing spiritual maturity, growing, maturing as a Christian, just means this, that we're going to be living more and more with a focus on pursuing God's kingdom purposes ahead of my own. That that's what it means to grow as a Christian, to be more and more focused on doing things that please Him, more and more on doing the things that advance what He wants to do, and less and less about focused on what pleases me. And so if all of that's true, and I think it is, or I've just wasted the last 15 minutes talking, If all of that's true, then here's the question I want us to consider in the time I have left. If all that's true, then how do we keep our minds focused on that pursuit rather than drifting into making it all about me? That's the natural drift, is to making it about me. How do we keep our minds focused on that pursuit? Well, the key verse that's that we want to consider this morning it's these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 they're familiar words maybe you've heard them before but there Jesus said to his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me Jesus said if you want to be my disciple this is what you have to do it's not negotiable You must do this. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And so I believe if we are to be people who keep our horse in front of our cart in this area, then we have to regularly, consciously make the decision to take up our cross. Now, let me say just a couple quick observations that are obvious, but somehow I still think they're worth saying. Observation number one is that death on a cross is an uncomfortable thing, right? I mean, that's why the Romans chose crucifixion, was because it was the most painful, humiliating way that they came up with that a person could die. And so they purposely chose it. It was so Miserable, so uncomfortable. Secondly, 
that crucifixion was for the purpose of dying. I mean, you didn't just do it as a recreational activity. Hey, what are you doing this afternoon? Oh, I'm just hanging on a cross for a few hours, right? You hung on a cross because you were there to die. And so when Jesus talks about us taking up our cross, it has this aspect of a dying to me, dying to myself. And so this whole aspect involves of taking up our cross means making ourselves uncomfortable in order to keep our focus on Jesus and his kingdom agenda ahead of our own. Now, I'm not talking about things like sleeping on a bed of nails or, you know, praying on our knees until they bleed. I mean, there are, there's been times in church history where, you know, people have gone to seed with this, the ascetics. They thought the more we tortured ourselves, the more God was pleased with us. That's just ridiculous. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about that kind of thing. But I am talking about this aspect of taking effort to tear down the idol of comfort that all of us keep erecting. You know, when we think about spiritual disciplines, uh, we think about things like reading our Bible. That's a discipline that we do, and it helps us grow. Things like praying. It's a discipline we do that will help us grow spiritually. Uh, Sharing our faith or um, uh, serving in ways that use our gift, that, that blesses the body and uses our spiritual gift. Those are spiritual disciplines. And, there, and there's others, but I want to put forth this one. That another spiritual discipline that we need to build into our thinking is this. Of choosing to make ourselves uncomfortable for Jesus. And so let me just deal with three to illustrate that I think we can pull out of the Scriptures. One of the ways that we can make ourselves uncomfortable for Jesus first is fasting. You know, Jesus fasted, Luke chapter 4. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days... He was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. I always giggle when I read phrases like that. So he was hungry at the end of 40 days, you know? But he fasted. Jesus fasted. Jesus taught the practice of fasting. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 16, Jesus says, When, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. You know, they would, they would purposefully make themselves look miserable so that everybody and their brother would notice that they were doing this. He says, don't do that. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus taught about fasting. 
And fasting, if you're not familiar with the concept for spiritual purposes, is just this. It's, it's going without something. Usually it's food, but it can be other things. It's going without something for a period of time. Well, why do you do that? Why would we do that? Well, it's to make ourselves uncomfortable so that we will focus more on God. I don't know how you are, but you know, when things are going great in my life, I just tend to coast sometimes. But when things are difficult and uncomfortable, you know what I do? I pray. And so generally, when we fast, it's for a particular concern. Maybe something that we're looking for a breakthrough in our lives over. Maybe it's a person that we really are asking God to do something really big in their lives. And we're really fasting and going to God over it. Usually it's for a predetermined time period. And what we do is you spend the time that you would spend on what you've given up, you spend that time praying. So you pray rather than in that time that you would be eating or that you would be watching TV or that you would be spending on the computer or whatever you've given up, whatever you're fasting from. And it's a way of making myself uncomfortable so that I will better lock in on Jesus. That's a way that we can make ourselves uncomfortable for Jesus. Second, I think, way that the Scriptures give us that we can do this is by serving in some way. Let me talk about it personally first. And uh, even before that, you uh, you know, certainly there are these ongoing ways that we serve that benefit the body of Christ and use our spiritual gifts. We all should be doing that, ongoing. Um, in fact, let me. this would be a good time to ask you, do you have a regular ongoing ministry here at New Life? Now, I'm talking to the home team. To, if you're a, a, a ministry partner here, if, if New Life is you're a regular attender, this is your church. Do you have a regular ongoing ministry here at New Life? And I would say to all of us, whether New Life's your church home or not, don't simply attend a church, be part of it. You know, I'm regularly, uh, I'll be having a conversation with people, and when they'll hear I'm a pastor, often they'll say something like, oh, I go to church at so-and-so. And And, uh, usually when somebody says that to me, my response is usually something like this, man, that's great, that is a great church. How are you involved there? And about three-quarters of the time, they look at me like, what are you talking about? You know, they'll say something like, uh, uh, well, uh, we go at 11. You know. And so again, man, wherever your church is, whatever you consider your church home, don't just go there. Don't just attend there. Be part of it. Serve. But I, I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not talking about those kinds of things. That's a given. We all should be doing that. But what I'm talking about here is that there is also these periodic ways that we can choose to serve. You know, there's just something that comes up, and and it's a need, and it's just right there in front of me. And it's something that they're asking, an opportunity or a situation, and, and it's just would you do this or not? Or here's something you can do that would serve. It's a one time kind of thing. Now, True confession time. I'll tell you what my reaction is. This isn't what I say out loud. 
But my reaction most of the time is, I don't want to do that. I mean, I'm busy. I got stuff going on. I got responsibilities. I got things to do, right? And, and I'm not saying, listen to me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't say no to things. In fact, some of you need to learn to say no to things. So I'm not talking to you. But there's a lot of us who need to periodically learn to say yes to things for no other reason than just to make ourselves uncomfortable for Jesus. I remember this was a number of years ago in a church that we were involved in. We were in a building. We were building a new auditorium. And so we decided to do a lot of that work ourselves. And so there was land to clear first and all of that. And one day I was there at the building and a guy that was in our church, his name was Lupcho. Lupcho was from the old country. And Lupcho came in to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water or something, came into the church building, the currently existing building. Uh, and he, I mean, man, he was covered in sweat and mud and I said, man, you, you got it going on, Luke Cho. And he said, oh, man, I would only work this hard for Jesus. And I thought in that moment, I mean, I still remember it. I thought, man, you are so much more in touch with the heart of God right now than I am most of the time. See, it's just making those choices to make ourselves uncomfortable for Jesus, to serve in some way. It's not only true personally, but I think it's true as a small group. Because, you know, the natural drift of a small group is to make it into something for me. You know, that the reason I come is this thing is for me. It's, it benefits me. It's my benefit, see? And so that's why we encourage our small groups to regularly, a few times a year, do some act of serving together. Because there's just value in serving shoulder to shoulder in some way that just helps us remember, hey, it's not about me. It's about King Jesus. Because, see, here's what I know about me. A huge idol for me is being comfortable. And if I'm not careful, my life can just sort of slide into being all about me. All about my agenda, my comfort. And so because I know that, I try to make myself, semi-regularly, I'm sure not nearly enough, but I try to make myself do stuff to serve. To purposely be uncomfortable for Jesus. To sign up for something, to, to obligate myself to something, to volunteer for something. Because I have to remind myself that I want my life to be more about kingdom things than I want it to be about Jay. So we serve. So we have making ourselves uncomfortable for Jesus. And then here's just a third way. It's just this is purposefully stretching ourselves. Go on a mission trip. Go on a ministry outing. Share your faith with someone. Give 
sometime beyond your comfort level. Yeah, we should all be giving regularly, but there should be those times where we give until it hurts. To stretch ourselves. To extend myself to someone who's hard to interact with. To forgive someone. To be kind or gracious towards someone who really doesn't deserve it. So I stretch myself to do it. I think the best illustration I have of this is uh, Larry Crabb in his book, The Marriage Builder. He talks about this scenario. He says, to picture ourselves on a, on a mountainside with a big cliff over the edge. And we're up there, and tied around our waist is a rope that's connected to God. And he said, what we have to do is at times come to the edge of the cliff, and there's the things that scare me, there's the things that make me uncomfortable, there's the things that I don't want to do. And we have to choose to jump. And when we jump, here's what we're saying. God, if you don't hold me, I don't know what I'm going to do. But we do it because we want to trust God, not our fears. We want to be controlled by King Jesus, not the things that make me uncomfortable. Not the things that scare me. Not the things that are outside of my comfort zone. In the 22nd Psalm, David says this. He says to God, In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. And so we have to force ourselves outside of our comfort zone so that God and I know that he's the one calling the shots in my life. It's not my fears. It's not my comfort. It's not anything other than King Jesus. Well, let me wrap this up. Just three quick things. I think ways that any of us can apply these thoughts. Here's the first one. It's just this. To think about your thinking in this area. I don't think we spend nearly enough time thinking about our thinking. Here's what I mean. I think when we're younger, it's very easy to sort of mindlessly let our schedule and our commitments guide our life. We don't think about the choices we're making. We're just doing it because it's what we're committed to. It's what our schedule says we're doing. We're just kind of mindlessly going about doing what we're doing. And then as we start to get older, here's what happens is we switch from that to letting our routines guide our life. That's why very often as we get older, our world gets smaller. You know, anything that's outside of how I see it or what my experiences have been is wrong somehow. But here's what I think, whether we're younger or older or anywhere in between, here's what I think we need to do. We need to decide that we're going to only have one decision factor in our life. And that's King Jesus. And so I'm just encouraging all of us to spend more time thinking about our thinking. To think about the decisions we make every day, hundreds of them. And to try to more and more run them through the filter of, is this what King Jesus would have me do? Is this what would bring him glory? Is this what would advance his purposes? Is this what I ought to be doing in light of 
being a subject of King Jesus? Think about your thinking when it comes to this. Number two is to put yourself out there. Expand your comfort zone on purpose. You know, sometimes our comfort zone gets expanded, but it's not at all what we want, right? Expand your comfort zone. Jump off those cliffs. Especially when it comes to the things that has kingdom impact value. And then finally, number three is just this. Hey, it is okay to say no. But practice saying yes. Especially when you feel the Holy Spirit stirring your thoughts in some area. Now, I'm, I'm talking primarily about those one-time things. I mean, you know, if it's something that you're, if there's an opportunity put in front of you and it's ongoing, it's, you know, week after week or month after month and all of that stuff, you need to put more thought into it because obviously you can get overcommitted and all of those kinds of things. But I'm talking about those one-time opportunities. You just do it. You just serve in that way and it's over with. It's okay to say no. But maybe we ought to say yes more often, just so that we can make ourselves uncomfortable to remind ourselves that my life isn't about me, it's about King Jesus. You know, some of us have said no to the Holy Spirit's prompting so much that, you know, maybe we don't even recognize that voice much anymore. And if that's you this morning, I realize it's not lots of us, but I bet there's a few of us that that is the case. And if that's you this morning, I, I don't want to leave you with despair. I'm going to leave you with hope. Because if that's you this morning, here's what you just need to do. You just need to confess that to Jesus. Jesus, I've been way too much about me. Jesus, I've, I've, I've heard that still small voice and I've said no and no and no. And, I, you know, I don't recall hearing it much anymore. God, forgive me of that. Forgive me for closing off my mind, closing off my thoughts, closing off my heart to that voice of the Spirit in my life. And ask God to soften your heart up more and more and more to hear the Holy Spirit prompting you. But I think all of us would benefit from reminding ourselves again and again and again that it's not about me. It's about serving King Jesus. Well, let's be standing for prayer. And I want to just encourage you we're, like we generally do, are going to sing a couple of songs here. And while we're singing, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in any way, I just want to encourage you right there where you're seated, while we're singing, just to do business with God. Just deal with whatever God would have you deal with. Not only that, but, you know, we have prayer team members up here, and they would love to pray with you, whether it's about this or about anything else that's on your heart right now. If while we're singing... You just feel that freedom. Just slip out and go to one of these people. They would love to pray with you. Well, let me pray for us, okay? Lord Jesus, again, we just ask you to personalize this for each of us. Lord, I don't know. 
I don't know what the exact application is for all of us. I know all of us need to regularly sensitize ourselves more and more to you, God. Do, do your work now. Give us the wisdom to hear exactly what you want to say to each of us. And then give us the courage to respond to that. And I pray it all in your name. Amen.